Hello, I'm your host, Aaron Ripmaster. Welcome to the Man Cave. We're joining me tonight to record Diz Dad's podcast number 602 for Sunday, September 1st, 2019, are Adam Dale, Michael Ty. How's everybody doing today? And David Jort. Is, it, is this thing on? How are we doing? Welcome back, Dave. How are we doing, folks? Been a little while. It has. So, uh, you know, tonight we're going to talk all things Galaxy's Edge, Disneyland, Walt Disney World, whatever, it, you know, wherever it may be, we'll be talking Galaxy's Edge. Uh, before we dive into that discussion, though, I need to thank our podcast sponsor, Mouse Master Travel. Mouse Master Travel is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and Mouse Master agents would love to take care of the stressful parts of vacation planning so that you can focus on the fun. You can check them out at mousemastertravel.com. So we are recording this, uh, you know, we're, we're playing with fate a little bit, I guess, um, because we're recording this at the very beginning of August um, to accommodate my vacation schedule, other people's travel schedules, all of that. Um, Galaxy's Edge is going to open at Walt Disney World uh, 28 days from now. Although some people are going to see things a little sooner than that, aren't they, Michael? Ah, uh, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so, when when is your preview? Uh, my preview is in well, fourteen days from now. Oh, so half of that time. <laughs> uh, so, Michael will be getting a Walt Disney World Galaxy's Edge peak uh, in about two weeks' time. And uh, so we understand that, that there's the possibility that there will be some things that we're going to say now that by the time it rolls around on the 29th may be different. We're basing most of our conversation on what's been happening so far at Disneyland and also on things that we do know about Walt Disney World. Um, the cast member previews started today at Walt Disney World. So we know that uh, the land is essentially ready. It's, it's the finishing touches at this point for the next... 28 days or so. But before we look ahead to Galaxy's Edge opening at Walt Disney World, let's take a look back with Don Donfress's This Week in Disney History. Hi, Disney Ohana. This is Don Donfress with your favorite segment, This Week in Disney History. Today, for the week of September 1st. On September 1st in 2007, Epcot reopens the film O Canada. The updated version is hosted by Martin Short. On September 2nd, 1979, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad opens in Disneyland's Frontierland. On September 4th, 2001, Tokyo Disney Sea has its grand opening. It is Japan's second park and the ninth worldwide. Also, for you Starbucks fans, in 2013, the Fountain View in Epcot reopens as a Starbucks. On September 5th, 1912, Frank Thomas, one of Walt's nine old men, is born. In 1994, Disney World's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea temporarily closes. Two years later, it was made official, and some of the submarines were sunk off of Disney's Castaway Key. On September 7, 1984, the Morocco Pavilion opens. It is the first country in the World Showcase to be sponsored by the government, not a corporation. The King of Morocco actually sent royal craftsmen to lay all the tile work, carvings, and paintings in the pavilion. Well, that's all for this week. Till next time, 
This is Don Donfers with This Week in Disney History. Thank you, Don. Now we can turn our attention back to Galaxy's Edge. So, with all that said, um, gosh, I don't know. Dave, why don't you set the scene with what we've got in front of us, right? What are, what's the basics here of what Galaxy's Edge is all about? Um, you know, what do people need to know to even understand what's happening here? Well, I think the first thing you need to understand is that you need to get in line like tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. We obviously have mirrored lands on the West coast and the East coast with galaxy's edge and Disneyland having already opened. So there are expectations that are set. Um, There is video out there. If you want to be completely spoiled, you have that opportunity to do so. Um, And I'm sure we'll get into uh, what happened there and how that's going to cross over to what happens at Hollywood Studios. But I think the the biggest thing that people need to know out of the gate is that the reservation system that they had set up in Disneyland is not happening as of this moment at Disney World. Um, At least not quite the same way. And and I I, want to jump in here because I think part of what the uncertainty here is and part of the concern. So obviously Disneyland and Walt Disney World have very different communities of people who attend. Michael Ty is an exception to the rule in that he's somebody who doesn't live anywhere near Walt Disney World, but he's a pass holder. And when this opportunity came up, he was able to make the arrangements to get down there to see a preview. Um, the fan base and the folks who are attending Disneyland in California are a very different group of people. And the interesting thing there is at Walt Disney World, you know, Michael's a a pass holder. He's going to get er an early access opportunity to see Galaxy's Edge. On On the Disneyland side, really it was the exact opposite because most annual pass holders are still blacked out. Right. Their passes don't work yet right until summer is over so to some extent at disneyland you know crowds have actually been lower than expected and and you know all of the terror stories about you know nine hour waits and all this stuff have been completely overblown and and actually their attendance is down a little bit and it seems like they've had the effect of you know they, they they tried multiple strategies to make sure that the land wasn't overwhelmed figuring that if one worked they'd be okay. If two worked, they'd look like geniuses. Right. Instead, all of them worked. And so the park is, you know, well under capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were too successful. So the, the issue though is um, it's a different community at Walt Disney World, right? We don't have that issue of, e- even if they blacked out pass holders, right? It wouldn't have that big of an impact on the crowd because mm-hmm. Pass holders just make up a smaller proportion of the folks who are going to the parks. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's more dangerous than they realize with people being there for a much shorter amount of time that either stumbled upon the fact that they're going to be at Walt Disney World and it was just dumb luck, or those of us that are actually traveling down for this event and the opening of food and wine in the same weekend. And I guess we can get into that too, because 
process wise, it was actually a pretty decent idea to open both of them at the same day, just to spread everything out. But you're going to have a lot of people that are expecting to get in there opening day um, when they don't have the extra, extra magic hours, when you're, you don't currently have any semblance of a, a virtual queue set up um, or at least nothing they've released to the public yet. And we're a month out, which, which that's what, that's what scares me. And as someone who is planning to attend day one, flying in on the 28th to be there through the weekend, I'm literally planning on getting in line 6 p.m. on the 28th. And you'll be number 5 million probably at that point. No, you're exactly right. Like, my flight lands at 8.35 and I will be on Twitter. I will be figuring out (laughs) what the heck's going on because there's, I mean, there's, there's rumor that Disney is expecting people to start lining up the 27th. Which in and of itself brings in the August heat with potential downpours every single day and and thunderstorms a a serious inherent danger that they are going to have to take upon themselves as it being on private property. And I I, I can't fathom that they haven't come out with something yet. Well, well let's let's remember they that actually- they've, dealt, they've dealt with this before. Right. I mean, Michael, go ahead and say what you were starting to say, because they have done some things. They've they have done some things, but uh, there is uh, recently Disney announced uh, there is extra, extra magic hours for Hollywood Studios starting September 1 through November 2nd. Right. um, For all guests that are staying on property. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is going to be um, it looks like Edge will be opening up at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Sounds very much like what they were doing with Avatar Land when when they had Pandora opening those right. for that month. Well, um, hang on, I, guys. I want to I want to take a step back for a second because we're we're already jumping into the weeds of, of <laughs> managing actually getting into the land. And one of the things that I'm, you know, look the the folks here on this call right now, right? We all understand how this all works. We've been watching it since the day it was announced. But there are plenty of folks who are listening to this who, you know, they're excited that a new land is opening or that, that this new, these new attractions are opening, but they hear people talking about Galaxy's Edge and they're not even sure what it is we're talking about. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. And now we're kind of going all different directions. Yeah. And what I was going to say is, you know, you're looking at this land that's not a land that's in any of the Star Wars franchises. It's something completely new and completely different. This is Batu. This is Black Spire Outpost. That's not in anything that any especially casual fan would know. And it's not really in anything or mentioned in anything that hardcore fans are really going to know. So this is very different, unique that, that Disney created something that's not what you're used to seeing. They've stuck things you're used to seeing and know about. Like there's a millennium Falcon in there. There's lightsabers in there. There's things in there, but it's not a place that, you're not going to a place that exists already in the Star Wars universe that people are familiar with. Well, the people that are familiar with, that's the, that's the key because it does exist and, and is part of the canon. Right. It's actually mentioned, they, they worked it in. It's been mentioned uh, a couple of times in, in the films that have come out more recently. But the important part is, you know, that, that Batu was their answer to the problem of how do you how do you cram nine films worth of information into one 14-acre theme park land? And the, the way you do it is by not trying to be anything from 
any one film. Instead, it's something that is outside of all of the films, but logically fits within the overall narrative. And so anything that happened in any of those nine films could come and go through this Black Spire outpost on the edge of civilization. Um, And so it wouldn't be out of line for the characters that you're familiar with for the um all of the the styles and the ships and all of those things to cross through batu but you're right it's not tatooine it's not hoth it's not you know those places that that we know directly from the films it's pretty it's pretty brilliant that they went this way um because there's enough familiarity but you don't have people walking in and saying, oh, that should be over here and this doesn't make any sense. If you if you were to, like, you think Disney nerds are bad? Talk to a Star Wars nerd <laughs> when it comes to detail and things that are out of whack. You know, they, they, they did something, I think it was pretty brilliant, where they're pulling, you know, the cantina is kind of the cantina, but it's not. It's, it, it, exactly. And... You know the uh, the spires themselves. You you can kind of pull this, especially the spires, and then the uh, oh, I don't know what it exactly is, but some of the buildings there. You can pull um, some of that architecture may have been from Tatooine or or is uh, reminiscent of Naboo, and there's enough of these little nods and touches to the rest of the galaxy. But no one's going to say, well, this isn't perfectly perfect. The one thing that there is, is the Millennium Falcon. And from everything I've seen, read, or heard, it is perfect. Right. Well, and, and I think that this is a good point, a good place to talk a little bit about kind of setting expectations a little bit. Because one of the things that um, I'm a little concerned about with casual fans who are big Star Wars fans excited about that opportunity to, you know, be immersed in this Star Wars world. Um, It echoes to me what I heard from Harry Potter fans when Universal was getting ready to open the Wizarding World, right? And I would get people who were coming to me and saying, we can't wait to go to Harry Potter World. Okay. First of all, it's not Harry Potter World. Second of all, it's not its own theme park, right? It's one piece of one theme park. And it's a limited number of attractions. You know, this isn't this isn't a dozen rides, right? This is exactly one piece of something much larger. And I, I, I want people to understand that because I know a lot of people who were, you know, I, I would say, wait a second, if you're going to go to the Wizarding World, here's what you need to understand. There's all these other things that are there too, and you know, they're going to be other things pulling your attention. There are going to be guests who are interested in other things also coming to the Wizarding World. So you're not just going to be surrounded by Wizarding World bands, all these things that they just didn't comprehend coming in, right? They figured they were going to be going into their own, their own quote unquote theme park surrounded by other people. We we would be remiss to not bring up the idea where in all that space, Universal embraced the whole folks cosplaying and dressing up and embracing all that. Disney is putting a squash on that in galaxy's edge. Well, they're at least limiting it. I mean, they, they haven't said no, no costume at all, but they've, they've said major it, restrictions. Yeah. They've restricted it. 
Um, and, and there are some other reasons for that, which we can get into if we've got some time at the end, because I think that that has a lot to do with some things that actually aren't even open yet and won't be for another couple of years. But um, in any case, the, so the, the important thing to understand is that, that Galaxy's Edge is a 14-acre land within Hollywood Studios. So you, you got to go into Hollywood Studios <laughs> to get to Galaxy's Edge. Um, you can't experience Galaxy's Edge without going into Hollywood Studios. So if you... You know, you're at Walt Disney World, you buy uh, uh, single park tickets, and you think that you're going to go to Magic Kingdom, you're going to go to Epcot, you're going to go to Animal Kingdom, and you've only got three-day tickets, you're not going to Galaxy's Edge, right? Because you have to have a ticket to get into Hollywood Studios first. Yep. Then yep. you can go to Galaxy's Edge. Once you get to Galaxy's Edge, right, let's talk about what's there. And then we'll talk about maneuvering through it, but, but what's mm-hmm. going to be there? What's going to welcome people when they walk through those gates? The, I mean, Adam, what are they going to find? Uh, the, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to walk into a landscaped area that's laid out and, and wander through uh, because the uh, main attraction, which is the Millennium Falcon is in the back corner from what I understand and looking at the maps. So you're going to walk through and you're going to see, what appears to be a village. You're, you're not going to see major attractions as you walk, walk through the, that tunnel way in, into there. Uh, from the things that I've seen, it looks kind of like you're walking through a trail through <laughs> a transition space. Right. Well, I mean, that's a, you, you make a really great point. Um, you know, one of the things about Galaxy's Edge is that this is um, – sort of Disney's first full foray into a single unified closed off themed immersive land. We got some of it with, with Pandora, but Pandora was still relatively open to the areas around it. Galaxy's edge is a little more isolated. It seems to me, although Michael, you're shaking your head at me. I'm shaking my head. And the reason why is I would assume that galaxy's edge is going to be set up just like Pandora if Pandora, the minute you walk into Pandora, if you turn around after you walk past Tiffin's in Animal Kingdom, um, you can't see Animal Kingdom anymore. There's no signage for Animal Kingdom. There's um, all of the uh, foliage, foliage and the paths are laid out in a specific way that you're fully immersed. So I am assuming that once you pass through this, this walkway tunnel into Galaxy's Edge and into and onto Batu, into the Black Spire outpost, um, that um, we'll no longer be able to see any of Hollywood Studios. We won't be able to hear certain things. Based, there'll be sounds. Uh, based on the map, you're right. right. So ba- based on seeing it last week, they took the wall down. And yeah. you could see over top of it, the tunnel makes a very hard 90 degree, maybe not that hard, but it makes a 90 degree turn to the right as soon as you walk through. Because you look through and you think it's, oh, it's dark in there and it has to go up or something. No, that if you, I was, I was trying to look. Any rate. And even the back <laughs> entrance out of Toy Story land right it it's a long trail yep it's a long it's but, but a long point is that that not only i mean you're right that's true of of pandora my point is that it's more isolated than pandora is yeah. right you you can see that you're coming up on pandora more more than you can galaxy's edge you're literally yep. going to disappear from our <laughs> studios the rest of the park as you walk into the galaxy's edge area well i'm, I'm actually surprised right now how much you can see from toy story land into 
into Star Wars land. I, I, I truly I think am. You can, I think you can see a lot in, but seeing back out is a different. Right, right. But if you if you look at what they did in Disneyland, there aren't many aspects that you can see from the park. It's, they were able to take advantage of some terrain and some exactly. existing attractions and things that were already in the way that that kind of shielded things. Yeah. Uh, Whereas in, in in eight years, it might be good when the trees grow up. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like it, right. it, it, you, there's more coming behind it too. Yeah. It it's a it's a great view from Slinky Dog. Just, oh yes, it is. But here's here's the important part, right? The important part is is what Adam was talking about, which is that you're going to walk into galaxy's edge and it's this immersive land so your experience of galaxy's edge is not just the smugglers run attraction which we're going to talk about in a minute it's being in the land like the whole point of it is being transported in 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 some ways it's a uh maybe an extreme version of the way that we try to encourage people to experience animal kingdom right just just let the environment be an attraction and let it let the environment itself do its job of immersing you in the experience instead of walking into it looking for a thing to do right being in the land is the thing to do yep 100 percent. so what i'm looking forward to most um so let's talk about those atmospherics right because a lot of what's going to be greeting guests when they go into galaxy's edge is not so much the the ride that you're going to queue up for, but the the things that you're going to experience in the land. So talk about some of the things that that guests can expect to experience in Galaxy's Edge, especially those things that they're really probably not going to experience in other areas of Walt Disney World. Cast members staying in theme. Okay. Um, right. So that's going to be the one thing they're going to, when you interact with cast members, uh, they're going to be from wherever their name badge says, whether it's Tatooine, whether it's Naboo, whether it's Hoth, or um, similar to how they did in the launch bay. For a while, they would stay in theme, especially the uh, cast member and character handlers for um, the character experiences in the launch bay. I would assume, uh, and I, from what I understand, that they are staying in theme, that they, you know, they yeah. are members of this this village right so you're not there's no chris from orlando in galaxy's edge right <laughs> it's it's these are these are folks that are residents of batu and and to the extent possible they simply don't acknowledge what's on the other side of that gate yeah if you if you reference the fact that you came or you are at disney hollywood studios they won't acknowledge it at all um, and so, so the interactions with the cast members would be different. Um, talk about, you know, where can people go and, and, you know, buy their, I landed on, on Batu shirt. Not in, not on Batu. Okay. So talk about that for a minute. I think this is a cool thing. It, it's a really cool concept. You cannot buy. I'm, I, I'm hanging out at the Millennium Falcon kind of disney-esque t-shirts right like the the uh the humble brag t-shirts you can't get anything that mentions batu on batu you have to get that outside in the rest of the park everything all of the merch in batu is star wars specific and doesn't reference 
the land at all. Right. So the idea it's here, brilliant. It truly is. Yeah. I mean, the idea here is that, that if you're going to buy something in one of the stores in Galaxy's Edge, then what you're buying is the stuff that people who live in Batuu would be buying. Um, and, you know, they've sourced merch so that it's, that's what it is, right? If you buy a, a bag, if you buy a backpack in, in Galaxy's Edge, it's the kind of backpack that somebody would carry around on Batuu. All the way down to the Coca-Cola products where they have very specific um, bottles that they are in that are unique only to Galaxy's Edge. The thermal detonator bottles. Exactly. Love them. So awesome. Yeah, they're, they're very cool. And, and, you know, with, with the, the I mean, instantly recognizable, you know, uh, I mean, even the labels, right? They're Arabesh not. Yeah. Cut lettering. Yeah, the Arabesh lettering. Um, so any special stores, Adam? Uh, you know, there, there's the. I'm trying to even losing my, my, my brain. You know, you've got the, the different docking bays and, and that, um, what, what's the name of the, uh, well, there's, okay. So the big yeah. one is Savvy's. Yeah. Savvy's is, 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 that's the lightsaber right. workshop, Correct. but there's just a, a general merchandise shop that has, that's more of a, well, they have, they have several, right? So there's, yep. there's the Imperial outpost. There's the rebel shop. Then there's a bunch of random ones in that in the marketplace that I can't think of what it's actually called right now. So if someone wants to jump in, that's great. But mm-hmm. there's different shops, like there's the droid shop that you can go into. Cox Satars Mark. There you go. Right? Thank you. Maybe. But it's it's uh what's the best way to say this? I don't want to say it's item specific, but it's uh it's like there's a a a plush slash doll section creature stall exactly and then there's a uh oh well there's the 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 droid one obviously um think, think walking around the farmer's market yeah exactly and it looks good yeah they yeah they, i mean they've got stuff like black spire outfitters the 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 toy maker shop the jewels of bith you know they they at least label the stuff just like it would be labeled in somebody's marketplace, you know, they're, they're names of stores and not just, Oh, there's a gift shop. Right. And they're, and, and they belong to somebody like there's a shopkeeper who's a character who belongs in the land and who you may interact with when you're shopping in their store, because it's not a store, it's their stall. Right. You know, it's their, it's their artisan wares. Um, and, and even the food is, is part of the immersive experience. Um, You know, we we were mentioning er, uh, you know, early on as we were talking about crowds. One of the most popular, or probably the most popular, destination at Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland so far has been Oga's Canteen, um, which is the as as David was saying. You know, it's not exactly the cantina from Tatooine, but it's sort of similar. Uh, it's got that feel. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we should talk a little bit though about it, so that people have the right expectations because you're not going to go to Oga's canteen for, you know, dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if dinner is to drink okay. maximum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to go eat, you're going to go eat it like the doc 
the the docking bay or correct, which I think is a brilliant idea that they made it. They made this thing that looks like a cargo warehouse and took containers and turned them into tables and and everything else to make a restaurant that would have popped up in some weird outpost place. Exactly. I, I, I think that's a neat idea. Uh, the other thing I think is there's a difference. You know, we brought up Ogas. There's a difference kind of between Disneyland and Disney World is that there's going to be alcohol in other places besides Olga's and Disney World. Right. And right. Hollywood Studios version, you know, there's going to be alcoholic versions of the the milk drinks. There's going to be a craft beer stand that is there that's serving stuff that's not inside Olga's. Uh, and I don't know whether they did that to help offset the capacity issues of Olga's or they just decided to do that <laughs> because it's like studios. that way, but yep. More access, more access, more access. Right. Yep. Well, and, and to be fair, it's also, you know, it's more authentic. It's more, you know, it, yeah. Chances are in a real black, you know, real outlaw outpost that you're not going to only be able to get a drink, you know, in the cantina, maybe, yeah. I don't know what, it's what they did was really unique in how they split up all their food. Cause you've got the popcorn place, cat sack I'm, I'm just looking it up now. Ronto Ooh. roasters, which is kind so of um, sausage and pork wraps. Then you have a milk stand that stands by itself. Right. You have the docking bay food and cargo that Adam was talking about. Then you have Oga's, which is kind of the, the signature, but you really can't get a full meal there. Right. And, and Oga's is really more of a lounge. Right, the yes. idea is that you could go there, you could hang out, have a drink. Um, they do have non-alcoholic stuff, so the kids can experience it too. Um, but if they can help it, they'd prefer that people weren't lingering there for an hour and a half like they might over a meal. Correct. Or and, at Nomad. <laughs> well, that's the problem, right? Is that we know that us, right. it wouldn't be unusual for us to hang out in a lounge for an hour and a half. But that's another story. Yep. Um, and I, I mean, the you went through Ronda Roasters really quickly. That's another one that's just ingenious, the, what they've done with that, right? Because the yeah. idea of, of Ronto's is that the the roasting grill that, you know, Ronto is, is making these meat products for you over is a discarded thruster <laughs> from a spaceship. Pod pod racer. Pod racer. There we go. Pod racer. Pod racer. So yes. he's cooking over the pod racer engine, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. It's fantastic, and the and the visuals of it are so great. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm actually looking forward to this place. Um, the the sausages look pretty pretty darn good. There's turkey jerky, plus it's called Ronto's Roasters. Here, here's here's my one. No, I'm sure I'll have more, but here's my one complaint off the bat is that the the quick service restaurant is called Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo. Going back to the total immersive land and the fact that, you know, you could buy beer here, there, and everywhere, and you have a, a proprietor that uh, that is going to run each of these stores that you may interact with. A place called, a cafeteria-style place called Docking Bay 7, on a planet like this is not going to be named like that. It's going to be like Frank's outpost chow, right? Like it, they overthought it. And then someone 
decided, oh, well, Docking Bay 7 sounds really good. We could just call it that. And they're like, well, no one will know there's food there, so we should call it Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo. And uh, and someone thought that was a brilliant idea, and they ran with it. And I, it's the one thing that upsets me. Yeah, see, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I think the idea was is it was supposed to be a docking bay that got turned into a, a restaurant, you know, a restaurant. Right. Whatever. My, my other, I mean, if we're, if we're throwing out things that were like whatever, is if, if you're going to have, have the milk product from the Star Wars universe, make it a milk product and don't make it a, make it a, a rice vegan concoction <laughs> and call it milk because right. you can't milk a rice. Yeah, but milk here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nobody, nobody needs to be a cast member responsible for working in a location outdoors in Florida in <laughs> August that's serving fresh milk. I mean, so it's true. It's 100%. It, it's 20 minutes and, and no one is going to go near that place, <laughs> no matter where it is in Galaxy's Edge. You could put, you know, you could have Darth Vader and Kylo Ren serving and mm-hmm. nobody <laughs> is going to get it. Understand, but but from from my point of view and and things, it, it's just a, it's it's a thing with me and Disney at this point. Yeah, yeah. And but, but here's the other thing: you saw you saw where the green milk comes from. That is a no cow. I understand. <laughs> That's I, not a dairy product. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. But it's not a rice product either. <laughs> it ain't, it's not plant based, buddy. <laughs> Of course, of course, that is a per- personal choice with me and a personal stance with me about the forced "quote unquote" veganism that's going on in a lot of places, and and that's just a personal hangup of mine. And I'm like, if you call it anything you want to, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that we will adopt at DDC eight our own version of blue milk, and we will be happy. <laughs> Um, all right, so so immersive stores, um, trans, you know, food that really transport you there as well, and and I think that food does such a good job of doing that, right? Food is such a big part of that. That's what to me, that's what sold the Wizarding World more than anything else, more than kids walking around in robes. It was the the butter beer. It was the the restaurant actually serving, you know food that you might find in, in Britain that was non-standard um, uh, parking or theme park food. Um, and so I really love that they've gone all in with that because just the, the sights and smells of those different food items, is, are, I think is going to really help sell the experience. Um, now, we talked a lot about what you're going to do in Galaxy's Edge and we have not gotten on a ride at all yet. We're going to get on a ride? So we should talk about a ride. As of um, right now, there's only one. That's right. Just one. Uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. And um, let's see. All right. So, Michael, do you want to avoid being called on to talk about this since you've been oh, trying no. to avoid spoilers? Oh, no. I, I know I know quite a bit about the ride, actually. Um, I was just looking for mind spoilers so that I can experience uh, the land for the first time when I walk in in a couple of weeks. That'll be like, oh, wow. I'm not looking forward. I don't know anything, you know, talking about one thing and talking about a ride is one thing because it's not actually being on the ride. Okay. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, 
so so Adam, you want to set us up? What what's the what's the conceit here of Smuggler's Run? That you're going to come in t- contact with uh, is it Hondo Ahsoka? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Did, did I say that right? I was, um, and I believe that character comes from uh, the uh, solo movies, and maybe was mentioned in some of the um, Rebels. Uh, animated series that is correct is, is that correct uh i'm trying to yep. let my brain go in the right places here i get it all kind of jumbled up um but uh with that you're you're going to come in contact with that character they've done an audio animatronic that is uh very fabulous from the video that i've seen uh that introduces you to this idea that you're going to take part in this uh this smuggling effort that is going to happen on the millennium falcon and then as you're boarded on, you are put into a cockpit of six people. You each have an assignment. Uh, and from best I can tell, looking at this, it looks like it's some sort of cross between the experience that you have on Flight of Passage mixed with what they fake do on Mission Space, where you kind of have roles that you're supposed to participate in and do things as the ride goes on and changes your interactability with that. Um, but with this, I am aware that there is more interaction that actually causes things to happen while you're on the ride. Right. So that, that's been one of the things that has been perhaps most in flux as the opening of galaxy's edge, you know, approached at Disneyland. It's one of the things that's probably going to continue to get tweaked sort of continuously, even as the land is operating. Um, the, the attraction is designed to be virtually 100% controllable by the guests on the attraction. Um, my understanding is that what they discovered was when they did their initial playtesting, they had volunteers and people volunteered sort of as groups and they would bring a group in to do a test ride. And those folks did great and they loved it and it was a lot of fun. And then they changed up the testing and brought in people who didn't already know each other. And it wasn't pretty. Nope. Um, Because, you know, you have six different people controlling different parts of the ship's operation and people would make a mistake. They would miss a cue. People would get angry at the other person who made who screwed up. Um, and when they allowed the attraction to run in basically full control mode, um, they had a lot of angry people. Well, and there, and, and you have on two different parts having the same ride, you have two different audiences. We talked about this earlier. Right. When you look at Disneyland, who is the world's most famous local theme park, and then people go there and go there and go there and go there in droves, and they're locals, a lot of that you do get those groups. And once those people are allowed to get in, they're going to go there in clusters. They're going to have roles and assignments and they're going to do this and they're going to keep doing it until they get it right. Disney world, you have folks that save up for 10 years to make a once in a lifetime trip. And, and if you mess up some guy, some 45 year old dudes, once in a lifetime trip to pilot the millennium Falcon, he's probably going to throw his blue milk at you. (laughs) Exactly. But you also miss the fact that Disney World's a much larger international destination than it is than Disneyland is. 
And so you're going to have guests that don't even speak the same language sitting in the Millennium Falcon. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. You're going to have the 45 year old American dude that grew up that, that was, has seen all the star Wars movies. He was there in 78, saw the movie the week it came out as a child. And there's going to be some Brazilian dude that's piloting the Millennium Falcon and doesn't do it right. And dude's going to be ticked off. I mean, you can see it. You can just see that unfolding. Right. And so what they've done is basically dialed it back a little bit, right? They've, they've put the controls of the Millennium Falcon on sort of an assisted mode. And they're, you know, the original version, if you messed up, you could crash the Millennium Falcon. Um, yep. They pretty Sweet. much turned that off. Which would have um, been awesome. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah, I hope by the time we get there as, a, as the crew in January that they have options where, okay, there's six of you. You are here together. We can, we can set it where it's one level, where they can make different make adjustments on the fly. And that would be awesome. Yeah, and, and I, I do hope that they you know, are able over time to implement a sort of a variable difficulty setting or something like that but but they they have that for what the engineer and the gunner or you can have it on assisted or manual right that's true that's true so they do have yeah. some variability right now yeah. I, I i i don't think that the pilot's ever going to go off of that because otherwise you're not following the story and it is very story centric i'm surprised it's as story centric as yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it would not, be not to get into details, uh, you yeah. know, hashtag spoiler free, but it, it would be interesting to see them see what they could come up with to to do it. I mean, it seems to me it wouldn't be that difficult to to have a setting so that if somebody got too far off track, you know, your screen goes black and and it pops up with an animation of a droid that says, you know, your controls have been <laughs> locked out. R two will handle it from here or something like that. Right. Right. Just to take care of the folks who want to screw with people on purpose. Yep. Um, Those people exist. Right. But, but the key here really is um, that, that, you know, Smuggler's Run is, is clearly, it's an attraction that, especially for, you know, looking around this table, right? The, the four of us who grew up with the Star Wars movies and who I'm sure when we were, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, right? You know, we sat in our dad's recliner and pretended we were in the pilot's share of the Millennium Falcon far more times than we ever would admit to it because we shouldn't have gotten caught in dad's chair. Um, <laughs> so dad, dad's chair was the X wing. The Millennium Falcon was the uh, love seat. Cause you had to sit yeah. next to someone. Uh, there you go. Dad's chair was the tie fighter. Tie, oh yeah, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my, the point being that, that, you know, just the experience and getting to walk in there is, is going to be, mind-blowing for for folks of our generation the reality is that this attraction is one attraction right um it, it is a different kind of attraction than you'll find anywhere else i think adam's right it's somewhat similar to mission space but it has its own quirks that are different it's somewhat similar i would say probably more similar to star tours than um than than flight of passage only because you're experiencing it with a group of people instead of it being an individual, right? That's the big yeah, difference to right. me. Flight of passage is you're riding solo. Um, no pun solo, intended. I can't hear you. Um, <laughs> but but you know that it, it's put it this way. It's 
it's the attraction that they were able to get open first because it's less complicated than the other one that's coming later. Yeah, exactly. So it's the only attraction that's going to be open when uh, the land opens on August 29th. We're going to have to wait a few months for the other big attraction. Should we talk a little bit about what's coming in December? Are we, are we talking all rumors? Because I'm down for that. Hey, we might as well throw the doors open on rumor for, for Rise of the Resistance just because nobody knows for sure yet. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, we know a few things. But um, the, the other big attraction is um, Star Wars uh, Rise of the Resistance. It is essentially multiple ride systems run together as a single attraction. Yep. Um, David, you were, you were excited to start talking. So, so what oh, is, yeah. why no, is this one so exciting to talk about? So, so just just a quick, I don't know, a quick overview of my thoughts on this whole thing. I was so pumped for Smuggler's Run and flying the Millennium Falcon until I heard about what Rise of the Resistance was actually going to be. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, early on, there was a ton of scuttlebutt that it was going to be the most immersive ride system that they ever put in. I'm like, okay, great. What does that mean? You know, there was there were shots of uh, that that Disney released of you shooting at stormtroopers from a vehicle, and I'm like, okay, so it's it's going to be like Men in Black over Universal, right? Um, any rate, what what they developed, and as more news and rumors came out, what this ride is actually turning into is a very very long, total immersive experience that starts in the queue. You know, if we look back at all the stuff that Disney has done over the last six or seven or eight years of, of really putting in immersive scene ones and in, in immersive cues, like, like the new Peter Pan queue, right? It's not, it's not completely interactive, but it is interactive enough and it is immersive and it gets you into the mindset, right? They took it to a whole nother level here, depending on, what rumor you want to listen to, and I hedge on the on the low end of this, the entire experience will be broken out into four different quote unquote attractions or scenes that will last anywhere from fourteen to twenty eight minutes as a total experience. So you are recruited by the resistance on the front end to be taken up to go help them somewhere. So you step into this big U-wing as a large group. As you're taken off the planet, you are somehow taken onto a death, or not the Death Star, I'm sorry, onto a Star Destroyer, right? So, and and for me, this is, this is the big, big thing here. And if I can back up, as you go through these first three scenes before you get into the actual ride, you your group of 50 or 70 people is whittled down to a group of 12. Right. So this is one of the genius things about this attraction, right? Because right. it's it's they what they have done is taken a logistics piece, something that's not really much different than you know what they do to get you boarded at at Haunted Flight Mansion. Passage. Yeah. Well, even at Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Something exactly. that simple. Right. It's, it's manipulating the size of the group. But but what they've done is is embedded that in the story of the attraction and made right. it 
part of the attraction experience instead of just being, okay, now we need 10 people to go, you know, wait in this room. Right. Right. But, but as you step into a life size star destroyer hangar, which is as big as the entire pirates ride, you're met with 50 animatronic stormtroopers and then taken into a cell. And then from there, the ship is attacked and you go on your fun way, which is the actual ride. So you're, you're, uh, you're looking at a significant portion of the amount of time you are spending in line as part of the ride, but it's not. And it is <laughs> genius. Ingenious. It's like it's like the the Avatar Priest show on steroids, right? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I, it, it's brilliant. Um, it opens in Walt Disney World first, interestingly, on um, December fifth. Oh, that's brilliant too. FYI, <laughs> I have I, I have I have serious thoughts on that one. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, that's all right. So it's going to open in Walt Disney World on December fifth, um, and and the important thing here is that. Um, you know, you'll have the whole land, everything open in Walt Disney World before the holiday season this year. Um, Disneyland has had an, an operating Galaxy's Edge already for a couple of months, but their uh, Rise of the Resistance attraction is not going to open until 2020. Um, it'll open in January 2020. So they're going to get to the far side of the holiday season before they open. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the, exactly the things that we were talking about before in terms of, of overall park capacity and the kinds of, of crowds that each uh, resort tends to attract. Kind of. I think, I think it's a massive money grab on the front end. Well, it is because those first two weeks in December are usually pretty um, – they're, they're lower attendance than the last two weeks in December. Right. That's true. But, but here's the thing. And I, I said this early on when we were talking about when Galaxy's Edge was going to open. And they ended up announcing much earlier than I thought they'd open. But my prediction early on had been that they were either going to open in the beginning of November or the beginning of December. Because this is the ideal time for them to open, especially something as complex as Rise of the Resistance, because it gives them two weeks to run the attraction right. before the crowd hits. Um, right. Because otherwise they're going to be trying to get this thing open, you know, when they're at max capacity. And the thing is at Hollywood studios, especially since they decided to delay and wait to open uh, runaway railway until 20, you know, March, 2020, they need the capacity. Right. And all they need to do is look over at the other park universal and the nightmare that Hagrid's has been for exactly. them. Um, which is, it's still, the ride's been open for a month now and it's hit and miss on, it's daily. There's something happening to that ride on a daily basis. Yep. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. But it's also a whole bunch of people from, uh, a whole bunch of people that wanted to see Galaxy's Edge first traveled to Disneyland. And the locals, even though I know you had to upgrade to an actual premium pass or whatever it would be to to take part in it, um, you know, it's like, oh, it's our park. We'll get there eventually. Now, they're looking at making Disney World the destination before it opens on the West Coast. And 
I just think it's brilliant. Brilliant. Because you're going to have enough Star Wars nerds that are going to go maybe on three trips to a Disney park in a year for the official opening on the West Coast, the official opening at studios. And it's just far enough away that uh, you can't say, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait till it's all done. You might get people there twice, if not three times. Like it, it's, it's brilliant. Not it's, that I'm looking, not that I'm looking for flights early December or anything like that. It's possible. Um, I, I really think that this is more about operations than anything else. And I think that, that the thing in Disneyland has been a matter of being too successful at strategies that they'd come up with to deal with being overcrowded, including, you know, in all of the advanced marketing, literally scaring people away. Right. They were worried. And, yeah. and honestly, I think it's going to bite them in the butt on the back end at Disney World, Disney World, because it, I just, I don't know how you don't have an announcement out yet about a virtual queue. I don't get it. Because, because you don't need one in advance. You just don't. A virtual queue happens day of anyway. Right. And, and so everybody just has to deal with it when they come into the park. You don't have to give them a lot of advance notice. And they've already prepped for it by announcing extra, extra magic hours. Because the, the key is that, you know, we, and this is probably a good, a good time to start segueing into this. And, and, you know, how do you deal with getting into Galaxy's Edge and taking advantage of it? And, mm-hmm. and extra, extra magic hours is the big answer. Um, they're going to open Hollywood Studios at 6 a.m. every day. And no matter how many people say that they're going to get there at rope drop at 6 a.m., okay, no matter what the motivation is, 75% of the people who say they're going to do it don't make it. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Right? That's the reality. And 6 a.m. at Disney World is extremely early considering, you know, you don't get back usually to your room until after midnight. Right. Yep, but it's prepping for a day like that. I mean, we had to do it for Pandora um, because we screwed up the year before because we couldn't get on Flight of Passage. So we ended up being – we were at the gate at 6 a.m. But I I have a similar experience to this. I was uh, Toy Story Land. Mm -hmm. I was down for opening weekend for Toy Story Land. Yep. Um, And you were talking about there was no virtual queue for that. They were lined up. People were lined up. Hollywood Studios closed, I think, that night at 11 o'clock. And by 11.05, people were starting to camp out um, for the next day. day. Yeah. Just to be the first ones in. Um, The Toy Story Land actually hit capacity. Uh, What the ones that started camping out at 11.05 didn't realize was there was a soft opening the night before. (laughs) Um, So I don't think that will happen with Galaxy's Edge. But if you are planning to be down there on the opening weekend, um, you may want to be just hanging out at Hollywood Studios the that's night before and see what might just happen. You never know. That's the plan. They also didn't announce that they were going to open Toy Story Land early. Um, no. They opened it several hours prior to what park opening should have been. Um, and, that w- and that was to alleviate the line in the crowd for the other crowd that was going to be coming in because yep. it was that massive. Yep. Well, and realize that what they've done at Hollywood Studios with extra extra magic hours is that it logistically helps avoid that problem, right? Because they're not just opening an hour early. 
but 6 a.m. is three hours early. Yeah, but that's that's a cushion already. But it's that's also to keep their um their cash cow, which is the resort guests, um happy with them versus oh, of course one day guests. I mean, it, so it absolutely makes sense that they're they're gonna offer that to their resort guests. But they've never done it before. But, never. but but the first three days, which is going to be nutty, it doesn't count. It's not just resort guests. That's true. It's and, and, everyone. And I think, in, in my opinion, that was a big mistake. I agree. I mean, those, but um, I just I don't see why you wouldn't do it that way. I don't understand. I don't get it. And that that's. I'm not necessarily driving at the people that are going to get there and take advantage of extra, extra magic hours because that is, that is some semblance of dedication to make sure that you are up at three 30 in the morning. So you are out of your hotel at four in the morning. So you can get over there and in line at fourth quarter to five. So you're in line at, at five for an hour so that when they start walking you back at five 30 and then they open the land at six, you're in a good position. Although, let's play this game, because I like to do this every so often. So Got it. They say that Hollywood Studios, starting on August 29th, opens at 6 a.m. on August mm-hmm. 29th, August 30th, August 31st. Not, not for extra, extra magic hours, but that's just their open. normal opening time. Yep. So, my question for the panel, and I'm just going to go around real quickly. What I want you to pick the time, predict the exact time, hour and minutes, that you believe... Hollywood Studios is going to open on August 29th, right? When are they going to open the gates and start letting people in? Michael, go. Most of the time is 6 a.m. Uh, Michael, when do you think they're actually going to let you walk in? Um, I'm assuming, uh, um, almost we kind of talk to the cast members and see when they actually have to report because that would give us an actual, um, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> that, would, that, would that would give you the actual time because, you know, they. oh yeah, we have to be there at 3.30 in the morning, but I'm actually saying, I bet you they start allowing people to line up inside of Hollywood Studios um, as soon as they're ready, most likely at 5 to 5.30 in the morning. They're going to start allowing people to walk in and then lining them up in a queue outside of Galaxy's Edge, similar to what they did with Toy Story Land, um, where to alleviate the problem on the front gate for the guests that are coming that aren't going to attend Galaxy's Edge. What time they actually going to let people walk in through the front gate? 5 a.m. All right. So Michael says 5 a.m. Uh, David, what time are you going to be walking uh, through that gate? I want to I wanna go last. Oh, you want to go last? Okay. Yeah. Adam, Adam, what time are they going to open that gate? I'm going to base mine on a previous experience. We were there in 2011 for the reopening of Star Tours and all the first weekend of uh, Star Wars weekends when they did that and George Lucas was there and everything. My family slept in because Hollywood studios didn't open for magic hours till 8 a.m. that morning. Adam went over there at 5:45, and the park was already open. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, and like people were just walking in and you, people were already camping out in spots for the, the show that was going to be that morning that wasn't going to happen until 11 o'clock that morning, but they were already sitting in their spot in front of the stage, watching their spots, getting in line to ride star tours because it's reopening. There was, you know, it was walk on and ride toy story mania. And in 2011, that was a 
you know, at one time was a two hour wait most of the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that people will be walking through those gates at four o'clock in the morning. All right. So Adam thinks they're going to actually let him start walking through the gate a full two hours early at 4 a.m. Dave, what do you think? I think you'll be in the park at 2 a.m. I don't think Star Wars Land will be open, but I think you'll be in the park at 2 a.m. Okay. So Dave thinks 2 a.m. I'm I'm actually going to split the difference a little bit. I'm going to come in between uh, Dave and and Adam. I think it's going to be earlier than Michael thinks. I think that that I appreciate that most cast members are going to get called in closer to normal time because they're not going to want to pay everybody. Um, but my bet is that they'll call in um, maintenance and security folks early um, and that they'll go ahead and open the gates and let people start coming in probably about 4 a.m. Um, for all the reasons we talked about. They're going to want to get the people off the streets. They're going to want to get the people out of the, the walkways um, and they'd rather have them queuing up inside the park where they can start selling them food and things than having them out on the sidewalks and in places where they have to worry about trams, you know, running into yep. people and all of that. Yep. yep. The, the line going the whole way back to the boardwalk. Exactly. <laughs> it's legit. And, and it won't be your normal everyday cast members either with toy story land um you had senior executives and the majority of people that were interacting with the guests on opening day were management and salary employees they were not the standard disney hourly cast member that you're going to run into so as far as they bring out all stops and those most likely are days that everybody that works in batu has to attend um, and they're probably 16 hour days and all of the management staff will be there all weekend, probably pulling 12, 16 hour days as well. The management folks get those extra early hours cause they don't get paid overtime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what happens. They call uh, them in cause they don't have to pay them extra for it. And to give you an example, uh, toy story land opening day, uh, when we bought these slinky dog ears, they weren't, they were, literally pulling them out of a giant plastic bin and out of the boxes, cast yeah. member selling us the bin. Actually, if you looked at their ID badge, which was next to their name tag, uh, they were a senior uh, information technology manager <laughs> and they were operating a cash <laughs> register. <laughs> salary technology. Yep. It was technology, but uh, these were, these were salary folks that were in there and were working on top of it as well. And, and from what we understood, it was they were making sure that everything was working the way it was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and look, and, and let's be blunt, right? These folks have all, including those execs, have, have put everything on the line over the last several months to make sure this thing is running the way it's supposed to, built the way it's supposed to, and opens on time. And God love them. They ought to get the chance to, to see folks, you know, walking through those gates and and welling up in tears when they are standing in front of Millennium Vulcan because that's what it was all for. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story Land was like that. It was magical when they did it. Toy, Toy, Toy Story Land. I mean, this is going to be 10x Toy Story Land. Oh, yeah. Like, at but, least. But the Toy Story Land soft open, they walked them off of Toy Story Mania. They walked them out the, addition, the new exit. So you walked on in the old Pixar place and for about a hundred people, 
they walked out a different exit and boom, they were in Toy Story Land, met by all the executives and said, hey, let's go ride. That's awesome. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I love it. All right. So uh, we know when Dave is going to be getting to Galaxy's Edge for the first time, right? He's going to be there for opening day. Michael's going to cheat him by a couple of weeks. and I am August 18th, pass holder preview. Adam, when are you going to get to Galaxy's Edge for the first time? I hope to make it there the first weekend in November. Um, I have a conference in Orlando that week, and I'm hoping to to be able to sneak down there for, across town because I'm going to go down about a day early. So that's that's going to be my first shot. All right. Well, I have um, a, a conference uh, that I have to be there on December 12th. Um, so uh, I. I'm going to be at Walt Disney World uh, just before the opening, and I'm not a pass holder, so I wasn't eligible for any of the uh, uh, any any of the pre-opening experiences, unfortunately. So um, my my first experience will not be until Rise of the Resistance opens, and and the luckily because of the conference, I think chances are very good that I'll be able to get good. Uh, experiences with both smugglers run and and rise of the resistance even though we're only going to be open for a week or so before i get there um yes forward to it yeah i'll I'll, i'm i'm going to try to come down in december too (laughs) (laughs) um i'll be down in december as well (laughs) so uh i already have my flight (laughs) nice i haven't gotten my flight yet i'm actually i'm debating i have i signed up for an ap um preview on the 21st so it was the latest one but it's dead nuts middle of the week and it's my wedding anniversary (laughs) takes a while uh yeah 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 it's it's it'd be all right, so the logistics aren't working out, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, so the the bottom line is, um, we're all committed to getting a chance to see this thing before the end of the year. Um, I think that that our general take is going to be, if you're a Star Wars fan at all, this is must do. Um, it's as much it's it's as much to do as anything that that has opened at Walt Disney World in the time that I've been somebody who goes to theme parks. I mean. I, well, let me ask you that. It, it, has, has there, for any of the three of you, is there any other um, opening at a, a, any theme park that you have anticipated as highly as you anticipate the opening of Galaxy's Edge? Yes. Diagon okay. Alley. Okay. Diagon Alley, which was phase two of Wizarding World. Which was phase two of Wizarding Vegas. World, and it's absolutely incredible. Okay. So, so for, for Michael Diagon Alley, he was, he was as hyped for, uh, Adam, anything that you can think of that you've been as hyped to open as Galaxy's Edge? Probably not. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm hoping that it meets my expectations and that I don't get a letdown. Yeah. That is, um, I'm, that, that's my biggest fear is, having experienced what they did over at Universal with Diagon Alley and how immersive that was and how well that was themed out to what I experienced in the movies. I'm going to Galaxy's Edge knowing that it's not a scene out of the movie and it's not trying to be a scene out of the movie. Right, right. And 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 I'm hoping, and, and this is just me, because y'all know that I come off as a cynic every once in a while. 
it's hoping that it's not Pandora and that Pandora pretty much is a pretty cool looking place. You walk around for about 15 minutes and I'm done. Uh, after, after you've rode the rides and after you've been there once, I mean, I, I don't care anything about going and hanging out in Pandora. Right. I, 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 I'll go ride Flight of Passage every time that I can because I enjoy that ride. But other than that, I'm not going to hang around. I'm not going to eat the food. I don't really care. I didn't really, it doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I'm a big star and I, I'm a huge Avatar fan. I, I love the movie. I love that whole scenery, the things that he did. But I'm really hoping that I don't go in there and go, well, you know, that's kind of cool. But, you know, maybe it was a little overhyped. You know, that's, I, I'm, I just hope that that's not what it is. Okay. So Adam's got a little trepidation. He's, he's hyped for it, but afraid he might have already, you know, gotten himself to the point where he's expecting more than he could possibly fulfill. Uh, Dave, you're clearly excited about it. Have you been as excited about anything else opening at Walt Disney World or any other Disney park? Well, time out. I just want to address Adam's never being as excited for something to open at Disney World, Dawa Bar. He's been that excited about. I'm just saying. Well, but that's a well, daily opening, daily not basis. the actual <laughs> daily basis. That's different. <laughs> different that kind of interpretation. Vegan. I love it. I love it. Um, I have not been this excited about anything opening um, at all. I don't think. I don't think ever. Um, been been following this one. Been following the rumors since it was announced. Super pumped for it. Uh, I'm a little scared, like Adam is, that I'm hyping it up too much myself. So uh, I don't know. I've talked to people that have been to been to Cali, and they're like, "It's everything you expect." It's literally everything you expect. It's everything you want. You don't feel like you are in a theme park. You don't feel like you are in Disneyland when you're out there. You're on another planet. And obviously there's some, you know, suspension of disbelief and such associated with that. But I am nerdy enough to know that I'm going to walk through and it's going to get a little dusty and, and I'm not crying. You're crying. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's where I'm at. I'm, I'm super pumped for this. I am semi concerned with the fact that you, that there's no rise of the resistance. I was really, I was really taken aback when they decided to open it early and not have the entire land open. So, um, kind of worried that you get in there and say, Oh, okay. Hmm. I don't think it's going to be 15 minutes and there's going to be a lot of photos taken and a lot of, uh, a lot of shops explored. So I think there's enough to do, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. It's worth noting that almost every recent opening that, that Disney has done has been done in phases like this. New mm-hmm. Fantasy Land opened in like three or four phases, right? Each right. piece kind of had its own opening and it mm-hmm. unfolded over, you know, almost two years. So it really, from that perspective, didn't surprise me that much once they announced it. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really anticipate it, but that's why I didn't anticipate an opening until November or December. Um, so, you know, the surprise to me was that they were opening uh, the the Smuggler's Run portion early, more right. than they were waiting to open Rise of the Resistance, because I just didn't expect any of it to open until later. And um, even for... Yeah, and even for the pass holder preview, um, we have a four-hour block of time, but we're limited as to what we can do. So it sounds like there's going to be quite 
a bit to do in that four hour time because no. uh, we had an opportunity to pick smugglers run was the main attraction. And then if you were lucky enough, you could either go to Ogus Cantina or you could go build a lightsaber, but you couldn't do all three. No, and, no, and was four hour block. Now was that the way I read it was that's what you were guaranteed to do. If you had time, you could do the, the remaining one, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Well, I mean, the reality is that that because of the reservation systems that they're using for Ogas and for Savvies, it, I mean, it's like saying, you know, yeah, you could do Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique standby. Yeah, I got it. Makes sense. Right. But how long are you going to stand there with your daughter but, waiting for the standby opening? Right. But for what I understand on this with the members preview, if you do not have a reservation, you will not be attending. That you can't, there will not even be an opportunity to wait to go into Oga's or to go to Safi's. Got that it. That doesn't surprise me. Just just for congestion reasons, right? They, right. Because they've had issues with that at, at Disneyland. Um, yeah. And Oga's is real specific on how long you can even spend in there. Right. Um, you have wow. a two drink maximum, so it sounds like the most. And they're also telling people that you will be sitting at tables with people that are not in your party. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 need to move people through during yes. this time period, just because I mean. It's the only way to make sure everybody gets to experience it. Um, and, and uh, you know, just to kind of give my own answer, uh, similar to Michael, the Wizarding World, I was really excited for just because my, my kid was so excited for it, right? Um, I didn't anticipate it quite the same way, but my daughter especially was so excited for it. And then, and then the biggest thing was, so the one that caught me was, the the look on my son's face entering Diagon Alley. <laughs> you know, that just that that look of of absolutely enraptured immersion. Um and of course the irony is that that having seen him do that walking into Diagon Alley, all I can imagine is okay, that's the look on my face <laughs> when I walk under that arch into Galaxy's Edge. Um so you know I, I couldn't be any more excited for it, and I'm not even going to get to do it till December, but I'm going to have my camera with the long lens, and next week I'll be shooting whatever I can see. <laughs> um, all right. Any, any last thoughts um, as we wrap up here? You know, things that maybe we haven't talked about yet, because we've kind of given an overview, but anything we haven't mentioned that, that you feel like it would be important for somebody to know, either when considering when to plan to go to see Galaxy's Edge or maybe to, to kind of prepare themselves to experience Galaxy's Edge. Um, you know, Adam, any, any tips for travelers? Uh, take plenty of cash because <laughs> the experiences outside of being able to wander around are, are not cheap. I mean, even from the drinks up or on the pricier side, even for Disney World. Um, you know, even the non-alcoholic drinks are on the upper end of what you would pay around the rest of the resort. Yeah. Uh, you get into the, packaging the is not cheap. Yeah, you get into the the, the build your own lightsabers and the droid market and stuff. Uh, you know, those are you know hundred dollar plus per item, two hundred dollar plus if you buy all the extra features to go with your lightsaber. And I mean, those are those are not cheap experiences. Uh, if you want those experiences. Um, it's it's they've kind of plussed it up so 
take plenty of cash. Yeah. And I will say the good news is that all, by all accounts, people who have experienced it have said the price was absolutely worth it. But oh, yeah. objectively a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if you're going in there with a, a slew of kids to do it, I mean, say, <laughs> like me, if I if I take take mine, I'm buying a lightsaber, and I've got at least two, if not three, that are going to want one if I if I go do it. So that's that's eight hundred bucks out the door. Ouch! Yeah, my kids are learning to share. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Mine are old enough. Come I'm saying get the job. <laughs> they they can earn it, maybe. Uh, so so Dave, what's your tip for a traveler? Ooh. Early, go early, way early, like earlier than you even think to expect that you need to be there. Just go early, um, especially if you are staying on property and can take advantage of the extra, extra magic hours. It may sound like you're nuts that you're going to a theme park at four o'clock in the morning to stand in line for an hour and a half. But if you don't, you're going to stand in line for three and a half later in the heat. At least go get it done. Um, and, and you can at least... Uh, you can go back somewhere, and take a nap. Somewhere. Yeah, you can go take a nap later. I mean, it could be your day. You can be there from four until ten, go take a nap and do do your thing at night. But like at that point, you're at least dictating what you're doing as opposed to being at the whims of of how big the crowd is that day and uh Disney transportation and all that. Like Uber, get over there, do your thing and 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 get out. Um take a lot of pictures and enjoy the heck out of it. All right, Michael, your traveler tip? Uh, my traveler tip is it's unlike any Disney experience that you probably have planned. If you're an experienced or even a moderate Disney traveler, you know, you usually plan these things 60, 90, 120 days in advance as far as getting your attractions, getting your uh, advanced dining reservations and all of your fast passes. And you can throw most of that pre-planning out the window for this um with the fact that as of right now they haven't even broached the fast pass subject um there are no dining reservations for any of uh for the cantina or anything that could potentially have a dining reservation in uh, galaxy's edge uh so those old old habits that you've gotten into the um that you've become accustomed to on how to make a successful Disney trip and to maximize your Disney trip or kind of out the window on this. And I, I agree with Dave, um, get there early. Uh, that way you can dictate the crowd. Most likely the first, at least the first weekend, possibly the throughout in the, on the weekends, uh, you may see an issue of capacity in the area where they're going to be limiting uh, the number of guests that can go in. You'll have a one guest out, one guest in policy, similar to what they did with the opening of Toy Story Land, where they had a queue outside of the land. And when one guest would leave, one guest would enter uh, just so that it didn't become uh, shoulder to shoulder, wall to wall, and a completely miserable experience for every guest in there. Toy Story, the octagon. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I, I, I think I would add, um, you have to think about the first couple of months, especially Walt Disney World, the first couple of months after Galaxy's Edge opens as a unique thing, right? And and so as as Michael and David have been saying, you can't rely on your old planning tips and I think, or, you know, planning habits, and I think they've made good suggestions. 
Um, couple things that I would add. Um, number one, don't let the opening of Galaxy's Edge overshadow completely that we also are going to get the Skyliners opening that same weekend. No, um, wrong. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No. Off by month. I keep doing that. Skyliners will open September. So um, if you're not there, open, you know, right at the beginning, recognize that starting uh, a month later at the end of September, um, folks staying at places uh, including value resorts like Pop Century and Art of Animation, um, in addition to Caribbean Beach Resort, um, Riviera won't be open yet. Uh but you'll be able to use the Skyliner to get all the way over to Hollywood Studios. Um, and it's quick. Um, I believe the time from Pop Century to Hollywood Studios is roughly 20 minutes by Skyliner. Right. Which is probably close to a third of what it is on a bus. Well, no, I guess it's not quite that long from, from Pop, at least, because you're yeah. over on that side. But yeah. it's still going to be maybe half the time it takes by bus once you load it with everybody that pop whereas on the skyliner since you only load eight people at a time you know you're load and go and it's continual yeah so in any case um take advantage of, of those things as they come up as they're available to you um and then the other thing i would say is um right now there are no reservations available at ogas or or for savvies we know at, at disneyland they've started taking reservations for those things um Right now, the window for making those reservations appears to be about 14 days as we're recording this. But even as I say that now, by the time we air this, almost a month from now, that time is, it looks like it's going to keep getting longer because um, it, by all accounts, those reservations will eventually be available at the regular window for Disneyland, which is 60 days in advance. So, um, you know, if Disneyland is going to be moving their um, cantina and, and Savvy's reservations to their regular reservation window after a couple of months, I would expect Walt Disney World to likely be on a similar pattern. Um, what does that mean? That means that you won't be able to make those kinds of reservations for August, but remember October. So sometime in October... I would expect that they'll start, you know, maybe near the end of the month, start taking reservations um, for OGAs and for Savvies. Um, whether those will be available online or not, we don't know yet. Um, but I, I suspect they will be. Um, and the reason I suspect they will be is that they've even got Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique reservations you can do online now. Um, so I think that they've done everything they can to push the entire reservation system out there. We did. We forgot about one thing. We forgot about the Play Disney app and how it's going to be modified oh, yeah. for Galaxy's Edge. Oh, good point. Yes. I, I completely forgot about that. The the forgotten Play Disney app that you know everybody downloaded onto their smartphones and looked at it maybe once or twice is, is going to be modified to um, really give a very interactive and immersive experience to really expand it and to individualize it. Right. And it, it's supposed to eventually sort of collect your reputation, right, in the land. Now, we, we don't know how much of that is enabled initially. Um, so it's hard to say how much use it's going to be. But regardless of that, there are going to be elements of that Play Disney app that you'll be able to use throughout the land. And this is really the ideal sort of playground for that kind of thing. Yep. 
Yeah, Adam, have you used the Play Disney app at all? You're, I have not. Oh, okay. I, You're usually my person I, I can go to who's experimenting. I've, I've, I've usually played with it, but we haven't been there in a year. Oh, that's almost. right. We it's been it's been a little while since we've been there. We've we've done some cruising and done some other things this year. Um, so when I go into November, it'll be the first time I've been there since I was at the Disc Dads get together in January. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so any last thoughts? All right. Well, I think it's been really helpful. Um, I hope that people listening find it helpful too. Um, you know, this this really is the biggest opening for Disney in a very long time. Um, the you know, Toy Story Land was was a fraction of the attention and the capacity addition really to the park um, that Galaxy's Edge represents. So um, we're going to be looking forward to hearing people's experiences. You know, we're going to be collecting trip reports. Uh, Michael's one of the people who's helping me get those scheduled. So mm-hmm. you can shout out to Michael on Facebook and say, hey, I got to do, you know, spend some time at Galaxy's Edge and took a Walt Disney World trip. I'd love to talk to you about it on a, on a trip report. And Michael will help get you scheduled. That'd be awesome. Um, I assume I'm going to be talking to Dave about a trip here soon. He was uh, mentioning that earlier. So uh, I think that until next time, I've been your host, Aaron Rittmaster, with Adam Dale. Hell this fire, my friends. Dave Jewett. Have a good night, everyone. And the ubiquitous Michael Ty. Remember to join the dark side. They have cookies. <laughs> Our outro music is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod. Kevin makes his music available for download on his website, incompetech.com. He licenses his music under Creative Commons by Attribution. Thanks for your song, Kevin. 